Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Evening, Anfield Index listeners. This is Joe Connors coming with you another Legends podcast. Um, I have two great guests on with me tonight to talk about one Diego Armando Maradona. My first guest was voted ten times in a row best voice of Africa, and one of my one of my best friends <laughs> is. That's one, Kaylin Kareem. How you doing, pal? <laughs> I'm okay, Joey. I'm okay. That's uh, that's quite that's uh, that's not a real award. Um, but <laughs> thank you all the same. I I accept ah. I accept the moral support. And can I just say at this stage that um, although I am on this pod because I love Diego Maradona, I'm also just the moral support on this pod. Your other guest is more the expert. I'm more the what like the cultural attaché. To this uh, podcast. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> My other guest, as Kay was speaking, is making his pod debut, but is a hell of a writer, and his name is Stuart. I think I'm saying your last name right, Horsefield. That's it. All right, how you as doing? In the animal in the field. Good, good. How's everything going? Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, just set the uh, video for match of the day. Um, quite happy with Hull City's performance today. And uh, looking forward to watching that later on, but very excited for doing this. I'll drop everything uh, to talk about Maradona. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I, I can't remember who referred you on Twitter, but the guy who referred you on Twitter I saw was like, you basically have to have this guy on, and he was talking about you. So that was my choice. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was really strange. I was just laid on the settee with my phone, not really doing much. No, that's, up. No, and that's, I was like, wow. No, that's, that's excellent because, uh, Maradona is, you know, one of the best, if not the best to ever play this sport. So where I want to start is I'll start with you, Stu. What does Diego Maradona mean to you? Um, to me, without, is it, without sounding too grand, he, I'm actually 44 years old. Can't see on this. Um, 44 years old and his, his career went right through my childhood. So from, from 82 
um, I was nine years old, which is the first World Cup I can remember, uh, right up to sort of USA 94, I was 21. So my childhood and his career dovetailed. And I absolutely love football, passionate about football. And I've never... I've never supported, never supported a team. I've always been about players and just watching great teams. And so every four years, the opportunity to watch uh, this guy play, it, it just couldn't come around soon enough. And I think we, we, we talk about um, writing. We talk about writing articles earlier, and the articles that I wrote were purely about how his career and my childhood were just, and my adolescence were just completely intertwined. I, I followed everything he did. I could never get enough of watching him play. Um, and it was just the, the thrill of knowing um, that he was either going to be on the pitch or that I was going to be able to watch him for the next four weeks, every four years. And it was just, it was just the chance to watch it, who, in my opinion, uh, is the greatest player that I've ever seen play the game. Um, and, and I think it's that it, that I relate him to my childhood. I think is probably what what I what he means to me. He was he was me growing up. I suppose is, is how I can best best relate to that question. I suppose. Okay, now that makes total sense. Um, I know we'll get to his World Cup uh, um, feats later and what they what his Argentina team did and him himself. But a funny um, little side note is that ninety four that ninety four. World Cup was actually in America, and as you can hear, I am clearly American. Um, <laughs> and it, it, he only played in two games. It's funny because I, I, he was sent home, if I remember correctly, uh, for drugs. And it might have yeah. been Federer doping, but I actually was at those two games in Foxborough. And wow. it, it was funny because that's you know they Foxborough is right outside of Boston, um, which is where one New England Patriots play. So just a just a little side note there, but. Okay, what does what does Maradona mean to you? From well, that's a it's a pretty you know, so I mean for us, right, Joe, uh, you know a little bit about this, but in South Africa and across the continent, um, you know, across the African continent, football is life. You know, it's not a sport, it's not a pastime. It's this is the first place you seek legends. It's the last place you seek to escape. It's always, it simply is <laughs> football and and the continent of Africa. Just they are one thing almost. And what we do here is we wait and watch for brilliance and skill. That is our favorite thing to do all the time. But the thing we wait for most, right, is not like you know the unrelenting defender or the rapid winger. It's not even you know the prodigal goal scorer. These things occupy us, but only when times are lean. We wait for the tens. And you can argue about all the tens in history, but only a handful of them are spoken here in such certain terms like that. You know, how do I put it? Like their legacy can't be questioned, even in a joking way. And one of those is Diego. And you have these things, like with legends, where the legend permeates generations. So uh, Diego's career, I was lucky enough to catch the end of it, but my dad was, you know, he got the full brunt of it in his lifetime and he would just tell me things about Maradona. You know, he would tell me, like, he was like a magician. He could command the ball. It would just stick to his feet all the time. He could do things nobody had ever seen, you know. And the thing is, if you're from a place where there's a lot of poverty, then you know of these legends who come from poverty, you know. So, I mean, Maradona, he came from poverty. And sometimes, you know, when you grow up in a place like South Africa was in the 80s, you know that if you are poor and you work hard, 
and you're very clever, it doesn't matter. You'll live and die as the same thing. You know, it's a certainty. But, you know, but when you, you know, there's that misery that comes from terrible regimes that you live in, from utterly horrendous poverty. But imagine that, like, one of your numbers in the world, one of the poor people of the world, rise up to become, like, so irresistible. It was, it's almost like a force of nature. It's so strong. There's no system. There's no person. There's no anything that can deny that person. That, that one person is like, uh, you know, like you could put Muhammad Ali and maybe Jack Johnson, weirdly enough, both boxes, but you can put them in a, in a place on their own for, for people to look up to in just unbelievable role models. But they're also people like Pele and Maradona. And they can make you escape your life a little bit and they can make you dream of something, you know. So, I mean, that's, you know, the legend of Diego Maradona as one of those tenders, one of those absolute legends is really interred in African soil to a large degree, interred in South African soil. On a more recent note, I can see he's, he's definitely supported the world, a World Cup in Africa before it came here to South Africa. There were many other prominent legends who spoke about the fallacy of handing it to the backward dark continent and Again, that's just something that will, you know, allow his legend to deepen uh, across the entire continent. So we just, you know, it's nice, it's nice to have somebody like that around, of somebody who's of such huge legend and can still retain his, his, uh, roots in poverty and maintain his link to those people for such a long time. Yeah, there's, there's every so often you get in sports and, and really in life, you get somebody who basically makes a mark on it seems like the world and Maradona is definitely one of those guys and you know he he comes from the outskirts of Buenos Aires he you certainly touched on the poverty and shanty towns he lives in but this is a this is a young a kid at an early age who is just unbelievable at football eight years old I remember I, I was reading something about his youth coach they had the ID check on because they just didn't think he was eight years old he played like he was 14, 15 years old, and they, and they couldn't figure out how this young kid could be that good at that time. So his early years, I believe he starts with, he starts with, um, Argentinos Juniors and then Boca Juniors not far after. That's one of his, I want to say parts of his life that I myself don't know much about. So Stu, tell me about that part of his life and how he got started. How, how, how much of a player he was there. He was, um, it, it's funny, just before I go on to that, it's really interesting what Kale was saying about um, his influence in Africa and stuff. It, in this country, it, it really frustrates me because obviously with what happened with the Hand of God and stuff, which we'll touch on later, I've always felt like an outlier with my admiration for him. Does that make sense? Because with in England, he's very, you know, he, he is quite resented, I suppose, at times, and people ignore the talent, and it's been quite a struggle in this country for people to um, accept just how good he was. So it was really interesting to hear what Kay was saying about how the entire continent embrace him, etc. But anyway, sorry. Um, going back to yeah, going back to the um, to the early stuff, I was, I've been watching stuff recently, and he was actually uh, recommended by a friend um, to come along and train. He was, he was only, like you said, eight or nine years old. And a, and a friend of his was already, was playing football for a, a team, a young, a youth team over there. And, you know, he, 
and he said, you know, I've got a friend who's really good. And the coach said, you know, why don't you come? Why do you, you know, why don't you bring him? He said, oh, he can't afford to. And, and the coach actually gave this young boy um, 10 pesos so that Maradona could come to the first training session. Um, and then once he came to that training session, um, you know, the story goes that more and more people came to watch him. So that the first time he was there, there was two or three coaches watching. The following week, there was eight or nine coaches watching. And, and by the end, there were sort of 30 or 40 people just coming to watch this young, this young, naturally talented kid. Um, and there's even a story of um, an Italian gentleman who was watching who actually, bizarrely, uh, gave him his bike. Uh, because he wanted to, he wanted to give him something as a reward for the amount of pleasure that he'd given this Italian gentleman who'd been watching Maradona as a child on the sidelines. And he actually wanted to give him something as a reward for the pleasure wow. that he had sort of passed on to this, to this gentleman who'd been watching, which, you know, is quite phenomenal. And, and what is sometime over, you know, what is often overlooked is that it, you know, he's still the youngest player, um, to play in the top flight of Argentinian football. He was 15 when he made his debut uh, for Argentinos, you know, and a lot of people forget that, you know, it, it's all, you know, sort of Barcelona and Napoli, the world cup, people forget that he was, you know, even sort of six or seven years, he'd been playing top flight football. We even got to his first world cup. And I think, I think that often gets, gets overlooked. Yeah. That's a, some pretty amazing stuff. Kate, okay, do you know a lot about his uh, young career with Boca and Argentinos? Not, not a lot really. Here in, South Africa, I mean, because of TV and, and generally things, we, we didn't get, you know, we got the World Cups. We got a lot of the English League, of course, because previously we were part of the Commonwealth. And uh, once in a while, you know, because it was the best league in the world at, at, at that stage, the Italian League, you know, there were some matches around. We got nothing. We, we still generally get very little from South America. So, um, I, I mean, I do know he was causing a stir there. River Plate, in fact, offered him a ton of money, you know, come play for us, we'll make you our best played player. And he really, yeah. really wanted to play for Boca Juniors, so he did. Um, can you imagine how, <laughs> it would just be so interesting to imagine if he, he had decided to, to go, uh, to go along there. But he wins, uh, I mean, just basically before he leaves to, uh, to Barcelona, he becomes, um, he wins his, his one and only Argentinian league with Boca there in, um, you know, so he, it was nice that he got to to have some success there, but given the problems that he had later on, which we'll definitely discuss, I, I just wonder if, you know, like now with South American uh, kids, they stay in South America just a little bit longer. They don't they don't move so quickly. And I wonder if that had something to do with what come later. But but yeah, but not too much, Joey, to be honest. Yes, I, I do know. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump in. I, I do, like I said, I do know that he was right of 15. I know that. Um, out of the six seasons that he was there, he was top scorer for them for five seasons. Um, and that's coming as a 15, 16 year old. That's ridiculous. Um, yeah. And he was also, and that season that he played at Boca, um, he was also the top scorer for them as well. Um, so I mean, the, it, it was there. It was there right from, right from 15, 16 years old. That, that talent, you know, has always been there. And I think, like you said earlier, it's, it's very much, under acknowledged, I think is probably, you know, is probably what I would say about it, which is a shame because they are great standalone achievements in their own right. Yeah, and anybody who knows anything about South American football knows how passionate, um, in my opinion, South Americans are probably the most 
passionate football supporters in the world. Um, and that's not from obviously being a South American, now South American, but I know a lot of South Americans. I have friends who live in Colombia. I have friends who live in Brazil and they take passion to another level. So, okay. When you brought up river plate and Boca, huge rivals, you know, that you kind of see how Maradona, the player and person is starting to get molded where he's from. So he's a player who broke the transfer record twice. Obviously, once to Barcelona, and then he did it again to Napoli. But his Barcelona career, it's a bit weird because he, a guy who, and I would say, and I think, Stu, you said it earlier, is the best player ever. What happened at Barcelona? <laughs> um, yeah, I think... I what think, didn't happen at I think, Barcelona? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, there's quite a lot packed into not a lot of time. Um I think he was incredibly unlucky um, with illness and obviously the horrific injury that he suffered. And I think uh, you said earlier about, about the youth and, and people moving from Argentina, at, uh, moving to Europe from South American clubs at a young age. I mean, it's, I mean, he was still only, you know, sort of 21 and, and it's a world record fee. It's an incredibly difficult thing for a player to have to deal with. Um, in that day and age, you know, there wasn't the mobile technology, there wasn't the internet, you know, there was there was none of those things. And he sort of upped and moved continents at 21 years old with this world record price tag, you know, sitting on his shoulders. It was it was it was a big ask um, for what Barcelona were after. I think. Okay, what what about you? I mean, Stu's brought up a, a big piece of uh, information there. Uh, I mean, he did have the bout of hepatitis and he broke his ankle, so he clearly had some health issues. But again, this is Diego Maradona. I know he had the issue with Nunez, the president, and Barcelona and Real Madrid are notorious for having issues with players over, you know, basically their, their bosses. We, everybody, anybody who's a fan of those clubs, you don't even have to be. You kind of know what you're getting when you go there. And remember, this is what, like 82, 83, 82? So this is, this is long before what you see nowadays where, you know, in Real Madrid, if you, if you play one bad game, you might not play again for the rest of the season. So um, <laughs> how, do, how do you feel about his Barcelona time, Kay? You know, I, yeah. Obviously, you have the two contrasts, right? Is I think the high point is probably, and Stu certainly can correct me because, uh, this is mostly just from, you know, reading up and watching, watching endless videos. <laughs> but, um, I think the high point is probably, uh, his Classico in 83. And, uh, he becomes the first Barcelona player to be applauded off by the Real Madrid fans, which is ridiculous for yeah. that time, right? I mean, Barcelona, Real yeah. Madrid, they are reasons why they are rivals, right? These, these reasons are not all football. You know, they, they are seated in, um, economics and uh you know uh culture all those kinds of things there's a lot of stuff going on there so i mean i know ronaldinho that happened to ronaldinho he was applauded off i'm not i'm not too sure there's that many other barcelona players that's ever happened to you know no i don't happen sorry to interrupt you i don't think that's ever it's a good point to bring it up i don't think it's ever happened so sorry go ahead yeah no i mean exactly like ridiculous ridiculous achievement right and you know to be the first person to do that and that was an away game so, you know, ridiculous. But yeah. then comes, but then comes, you know, and Stu, like, what the hell? Because, because, and I'm laughing because that seems the only reaction open to, to you because an amazing low point happens 
um, sort of at the end of 83-84, where Maradona just gets into this incredible fight where you know, he walks oh. up, he headbutts this one dude, yeah. nails this other guy, kicks one dude so hard, he just falls unconscious. And, uh, you know, ob- yeah. <laughs> obviously, you know, pandemonium ensues, and uh, and he has to apologize to the Spanish king who was in attendance, but, you know, all, all to be able to get, but he was banned for a long time. Uh, Stu, I mean, for you, it just didn't seem like Barcelona was a great fit for him. There was, you know, there were, there might have been issues of like xenophobia and that kind of thing, but it just seems like the culture, the city, the, the people, it's just them and Maradona. It was all, it almost like ill-fated. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think you're right. It's, um, I, I think it much, like I said, it much has a bit to do with it. Certainly Nunes had quite a lot to do with it. Um, and I think certainly that the game you lose to the Del final, I know that um, the manager beforehand, I think it was Clemente, Javier Clemente, had made comments because at that point, uh, Cesar Minotti had taken over at Barcelona. Um, it was obviously the successful Argentinian manager. Um, and he'd made comments about the Argentinians and the Argentines before that Copa del Rey final. And I think, I think it was just pent up frustration. I know that he got kicked all around the park, you know, in that final, which to be fair to Maradona happened quite on a regular basis. Um, but I think it was, as they say, the straw brought the camel's back. And like you said, I think words were said afterwards and then, there was the head button, and it all just just went from there. Personally, I mean, obviously, I, I'm certainly not one to speak for him. I, I think the move came too soon. I think it came too soon for him. Um, I just don't think he was mature enough to handle um, such a big move and such uh, and a move that was so far away um, and so much expectation. Because obviously, at the time, Barca certainly weren't you know the force that they are now. Um, I mean, Cruyff had been there previously, but from Cruyff leaving up until Maradona arriving, there'd been very little success at Barcelona. And I think they assumed that the, the sign of Maradona would straight away bring back, you know, the success and the trophies, etc. And it, and as we've discussed, you know, it, it really didn't happen. And, and I don't think that helped either. Yeah, so he, I mean, he's only there for two seasons. And the funny thing is, is they're injury ravaged. Nothing goes right. But it's Maradona, and he still scores 38 and 58, which is hysterical because it just goes to show you how amazing a player he is. So <laughs> Barcelona's done, and then he, he goes to Napoli. I mean, he wants to leave Barcelona. He doesn't want to be there anymore. He arrives at Napoli. He's presented by world media at Stadio San Pablo. And obviously, at that point, he he's probably at the peak of his powers, I would say. Or maybe he reached the peak of his powers, I should say there. You guys tell me how, how good was he at Napoli? I know a lot of people say, oh, he, Maldini has said he's the best he's ever played against. Baresi said he's the best he's ever played against. Now that's obviously high praise coming from two of the best defenders to ever walk the earth. But you guys tell me in your words, what was Maradona like at Napoli? How good was he? You know, before, before we, like, before that, what, what I, I always find this, and uh, Stu, maybe you can, you know, just help me out here, but I would love to know how he chose Napoli. I mean, obviously he had to leave Barca at that stage, right? Barca really wanted him gone. I think he also didn't, didn't feel that, um, Barca was the club for him and he wanted to go. But, I mean, Napoli comes in, they're not exactly world force of football. They never won the Scudetto. They, um, they were, they were sort of in the market for picking up damaged players at that time. 
you know, I thought maybe because uh, I know that when the unification of Italy happened, North and South unification, which was I think 1860 something, um, a lot of <laughs> good knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of immigrants, a lot of people from South Italy emigrated and they went to South America. So I initially thought, you know, is some kind of family thing. Then I thought maybe it was Socrates, right? Because Socrates went to Fiorentina. And yes. uh, this was before I looked up where Fiorentina was on the map. But uh, Socrates was uh, quite famously uh, a very leftist thinker. He he actually went to Fiorentina in his own words to read Gramsci in the original language, which was an <laughs> awesome reason to go play in football. <laughs> Socrates is an awesome man. He's just an amazing character, right? But Fiorentina is in the north. Right. So, so, you know, what was it? Was it, you know, maybe just, just coming from Barcelona and, uh, being a relatively, you know, richer club or something like that. Did he want to go somewhere where perhaps, um, it, it was, it was people who were more aligned to his background? Was it, was just, you know, the rebel in Maradona or was it just that Napoli were the ones that were paying for him for that damaged goods at that time? I think I think you're I think you're right. Part I think you're right in that um, it he, he was damaged goods. I mean, he, I mean, his, his last game in the '82 World Cup final, you know, we, we were sent off against Brazil, you know, with a straight red um, for a kick in the midriff, um, and that was actually the count now as well. That was a um, in front of the Barcelona fans just before he started with them, and then like you say, this this huge brawl had taken place, and I, I think I think clubs at the time were very reluctant. Um, to take a chance on him, I think. Certainly, you know, the, the powerhouses in Italy, Inter, AC Milan, Juventus, you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't really need him. They probably didn't need the trouble that he would probably bring with him. Whereas Napoli, I think as much as Barcelona probably was the wrong club, I think Napoli was the perfect club. Mm. Kindred spirits. There was still this north-south divide, you know, that you've alluded to, Kate, with far greater knowledge than I have. Um, you know, and I and I think he found I think he found the right place. He did go for um a world record transfer fee again, as you said earlier, Joe. You know, it's something like six point nine, I think, yeah. a million pounds that he went for. But um it's funny because at the, they they put a bid in for him and then Napoli had decided that they couldn't afford it. And then rumour as as often follows Maradona, the money arrived and nobody actually really knows where that money arrived from as such, or what source the money came from, but eventually Napoli found the money, and, you know, and, and so off he went to, you know, Napoli from Barcelona, but there's, there are rumours, um, suggestions as to where that money came from, which, you know, as you, as I'm sure we'll probably Bar- discuss later on with the darker yeah. side of his life <laughs> in Naples. Yeah, well, you know, yep. it's, uh, Italy's known for their mafia, um, yeah. Naples included, uh, so, yeah, again, I mean, he, he wins, I think it's two Serie A titles, if you can correct me if I'm wrong there. And I know he won the UEFA Cup in 88-89. And again, I'm not sure how used, I'm not sure how used to Napoli is of the success, but they fall in love with him. Now, they definitely fall out of love with him before he goes. <laughs> While he's there, again, tell me, tell me what kind of player he was while he was at Napoli. Um, I think for me, I think he was, um, I mean, at the time, Platini was was at Juventus as well. Who was another 
you know, another a great number 10. I'm not sure he's in the same bracket as Maradona and Pele, maybe Cruyff, but but it, Italian football at that time was incredibly defensive, you know, and it, and it was very, you know, it was the fine art or the dark art of defending. Um, and I think Maradona, not not changed, certainly, certainly didn't change the Italian played, but he, he took his brand and... Um, Kaylu's doing really well, in, you know, in the introduction that that fantasy football, the the imagination, the flair, the the things that he could do with a football, and, it, and he brought it to a league and to a country where, it, you know, it just didn't happen. You know, the defenders wouldn't allow it to happen, but but through sheer force of will and through sheer talent and ability, you know, he managed to make great things happen. Uh, you know, like you said earlier, a, a relatively provincial club with with very little very little historical success you know and, he, and for those four or five years you know Napoli were probably the greatest side you know in Serie A at that time and and for a player to be able to do that and to be able to do it to begin with single-handedly you know better players joined him and greater players joined as you know as it became more successful but certainly he was the catalyst for it and, and I think it was it was a, the breaking of the mould, I suppose, of the type of players that played in Italian or predominantly played in Italian football at that time. You know, it was very much a one nil, and then shut up shop. And you talk about Baldini and Baresi and um, Sharae, and you know the, the great Italian defenders. And then all of a sudden, you have this player arrive who, you know, is is scoring for fun. And again, his his scoring record at Napoli is you know is outstanding. Again, he's he's their leading scorer for five out of out of six seasons, you know, and that, that sheer level of consistency in a league that is dominated by defenders shows the quality, I think, of the player. Yeah, I mean, just a, an absolute unreal talent. Like you said, in a, in a pure defensive era with some of the best ever, you know, Serie A for a long time, especially during, you know, when he got there and into the 90s was the best league in the world with the best players in the world. Yeah. They were kind of, you know, the, they were the, they were the, and it's a little different now because the league has got a lot of talent, Bundesliga and obviously the Premier League. But Kate, how good was he at Napoli? Yeah, you know the thing was, I, I do agree with Stu. And as much as Barcelona seemed the wrong club, Napoli felt the right one. And I think part of that was yeah. uh, for two reasons. One was that they had welcome the savior and this this was quite literally i mean david goldblatt was writing about this he says um it was enough the fans were convinced that the savior had arrived one newspaper even made it clear that despite the lack of a mayor houses schools buses employment and sanitation none of this matters because we have maradona he arrived <laughs> as, as a don quixote on the horse but you know the proper one <laughs> he's, he's, he's your knight in shining armor but it didn't. It didn't actually go off so well. I mean, he, he started pretty. It, it didn't start all that great. They finished uh, eighth in the year he came, and um, you know, then uh, the next uh, the next year they finished third. But in that year, in 1985, uh, uh, people are saying that it was the Scudetto that was claimed in uh, sort of unlikely circumstances by their northern rival rivals, um, Hellas Verona, that sort of sparked something in. Maradona, or at least this is what it looks like, because the next year is 1986, and everything happens in 1986. Diego goes to the World Cup, does what he does, come back, and kills it. He absolutely, I mean, he breaks everything. 
Napoli don't just win the league, they win the double, right? And to, this is how much, this is how visceral, how unbelievably huge this was for Napoli at the time, right? Again, I'll, I'll go back to, uh, to quote David Goldblatt. The celebrations were tumultuous. A rolling sea of impromptu street parties and festivities broke out contagiously across the city in a round-the-clock carnival which ran for over a week. The world was turned upside down. The Neapolitans held mock funerals for Juventus and Milan, burning their coffins, their death notices announcing. May 1987. The other Italy has been defeated. A new empire is born. Derided by the northern northerners as donkeys, they now dressed as one, dragging Lombard and Tuscan devils by their tails through the gutters of the city. End quote. This was the first time a team from south of Italy had won the Scudetto. This was utterly, utterly massive. And if you, if you look at that history of the north-south divide, the south always had nothing. They were, this is the part of Italy that's plagued by just terrible infrastructure, huge, um, huge corruption, huge, uh, um, incorporation by the mafia and, and that kind of stuff. The poorer people live there. Their culture is completely different. They have more Mediterranean culture as northern Italy. They have more sort of uh, continental northern European culture. So th- they were always looked down on in the south. And this was the first time they had done it. And they'd won it with their savior. And yeah, I mean, look, it did turn sour. It did turn sour a little bit, uh, a little bit later. But Maradona still leads them to another title success in 89, um, yeah, 89, 90. 18 goals in 36 games. It's not too bad. Eh? <laughs> but that one was quite interesting. Um, I mean, they won, they won the league by two points, right? But they were actually granted three points in the one game, which actually finished not, not, uh, there was an away game at Atlanta and the Brazilian midfielder Alemão was struck by a coin and they handed, they handed Napoli the, the three points for that game. So yeah, they, they won the whole thing by two. So that, I mean, incredible little circumstance. And yeah, I mean, he eventually leaves Napoli. It's '92, and uh, you know that that's that's at the end of of what we we know a lot more about. I could say, um, uh, or, or the, the taste in the mouth that we left within a lot of cases of Maradona, the, the cocaine abuse, the mob stories, the bans for misconduct, but still leaves as the most influential and inspiring footballer that Napoli has ever had. I mean, they had to retire the number 10 shirt. Can you imagine who the hell could wear number 10 at Napoli after that? The weight of that shirt alone is, is too much for anybody to handle. To this day, there are murals around the city dedicated to, to the golden one. So his, his influence at Napoli. And I mean, that's their golden period, right? That, that, that's the time they won those two Scudettos. They've not had a period like that in their history since. So. You can see how much Maradona meant to the city, how much he just turned their fortunes around by himself. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. And, he, and he's such a flawed hero. You know, I mean, this is a guy who, and we're going to talk about it next, is the cocaine con- addiction and what it did to his life. And, you know, there's no question he had ties to the Camorra family and the Camorra crime syndicate. And, you know, he's basically run out of town there. And then the rest of his career is kind of, man, you know, he had Sevilla. He went to old boys, Boca Juniors, but guys, talk about, I mean, this is a guy who was probably more than likely playing high on cocaine <laughs> most of the time. And, you know, I, I have never touched cocaine in my life. I've touched other drugs we won't talk about. 
No, when, <laughs> when you play on stuff and you try to go out there at that level and just dominate everybody, you know, this is not something that's easy to do. So how do you guys feel? I don't want to, I don't want the, I don't want the question to be, how did cocaine affect him? Because we know how cocaine would affect him, but how did it affect him in his personal life? How did it affect him with teammates? How did, could he have played at a higher level longer? Could he have moved to somewhere? You know, he goes to a Sevilla team. He's there for one year after that. If he hadn't gone into all the turmoil, what would his career would have been like had he not taken cocaine or would it have been not the same because of the cocaine? It, it, it's a, it's an interest, it's an interesting question. Um, I mean, like you say, trying to play any sort of elite level sport while under the influence of drugs is a massive hindrance. Mm. Um, I think, for, I mean, for me, the, the drugs, Maradona, Maradona is, is a legend. This is part of the legend, which, you know, there's good and bad reasons that he's a legend, and, and that's unfortunate. Um, I think it's part of his story. It's certainly a part of his, his, his genetic makeup. You know, there must be something inside him. Not say it's a self-destruct thing, but there is obviously something within him. If, you know, if you're an addict, if you're addicted to anything, it's a part of your DNA. It's, it's a part of your makeup. Whether that um, hindered his career, certainly I imagine it must have hindered his, in terms of his fitness and his physicality. I mean, there's plenty of, there's plenty of retrospective interviews with him now where, he, you know, he talks about he could have, you know, he thinks he could have been even better. He thinks he could have achieved more. He thinks, you know, his career could have, you know, maybe gone on for, or like you say, maybe not gone to Sevilla, but maybe gone somewhere else, you know, in, in that time period as well. Um, it's it, it does leave a, a, I tell you, certainly with regards to the, the playing side of his legendary status, it does, but it's, it's also a part that, that I think has to be acknowledged within the history of Maradona. I mean, how his teammates felt about it, I, I don't know. Do you, you know, do you put up with a, a player's, um, habits because of what they can still produce? You know, do, do clubs turn a blind eye? I mean, I, I certainly have no idea what goes on, you know, behind the doors of a professional football club and, you know, are, you know, are certain players perhaps treated differently based on what they can still produce? And, and certainly, like we've all said at the time, at Napoli, he was producing, he was. You know, Scudettos, Coppa Italias, UEFA Cups. You know, while he's producing all of that, do you do you let it slide and let it go because he's still doing the business? Or, or should he maybe, you know, was there a moral responsibility with the club to maybe have acted and done something about it and maybe protected the player a little bit more from himself. Certainly the things are in place now that maybe weren't, you know, in the mid eighties, but I, I would question um, what went on within the club with regards to maybe looking at players or had he become not so much too big for the club, but was he, you know, was his influence, did it override everything? And, and I think that's probably more the case. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think that's true because apparently the habit was picked up in Spain, but in Italy, it, you know, it, it's such it's such a free reign on everything. He was given every space he could want to be able to do that kind of thing. I mean, it's 
It's very difficult to talk about this, and I think you've covered it really well, thing. Well, Stu, you know, the only thing I can do is, is maybe add a bit of context to it, um, because you know, I mean, it's really difficult to talk about this thing because it's obviously a very terrible thing. Um, a person in his position, especially someone who's a role model to children across the world, and many of those children are living in areas affected by drugs. His crime is one of great weight. It's great depth. You know, I'm not, so I'm not trying to set this aside. I'm not trying to say, uh, that he's not, uh, you know, he's not bad for taking the drugs or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not trying to do a judgment, but I'm trying to say, you know, he has, we can give this some context. And like, you know, it isn't really about if Dago should be forgiven at all, but it is to show that we sometimes abandon people that we can help. And we do that today. We do that with communities affected by drugs. We abandon them whole scale. Just, like I think we sort of did that. But when you're from those kind of communities, especially in poorer areas, drugs is, you know, it's like a way out. It's a temporary fix you can get out, even if it's just for a short time. But you are surrounded by it. It's everywhere. It's much more of a norm than it is uh, than for people like who live in more middle class or upper class areas. It's it's sort of on the street corner. You, you grow up with it. It's you know people who do it. You know people who sell it. It's it's both a means of temporary escape and maybe for others with more enterprising of those communities, even a way to access wealth that it would be impossible for them to to otherwise come by. So you know it's it's really impossible to understand what that life is like and how that feels unless you're from it. You know. So yeah. The other thing, the second thing there is both Maradona and Pele. Go watch. Go watch how these guys were kicked. I mean, okay, and we can certainly say today, um, I'm not trying to take away from anything. The great players of our era and today, you know, we can look at the, the, the Barcelona front three. We can look at the, the same with Real Madrid's and, and everything like that, but they're more protected now. And if you go watch Maradona and play and, and the, the, the Pele and the tackles that we give, it's basically violence. It's like violence was done to them with very little protection. Go watch those tackles. The be a man standard was in full force. And while it is generally a pretty stupid standard, it is insane in, <laughs> in this area, right? Both Pele and Maradona had to basically at some point resort to try, trying to proactively hurt the people who were going to like, tackle them really badly. They would watch the tackles come in and then sort of stick a foot out to try and hurt them to say, don't do that again kind of thing, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit more forgiving to them for that sort of behavior just because it, it felt like it's a bit more of protection. But I mean, seriously, go watch those tackles. The pain that comes from those tackles must have been, I mean, physically, the physical pain of going through that uh, every single game you play being marked as the best player. Go we'll watch the 86 World Cup even uh, when Maradona is at the peak of his past, kicked every single game. That must have been huge, right? So, I mean, pain is, I think, the second factor there. And the third was fame was just too much. And especially when you get to Napoli, he, he was starting to spend more and more time away in Argentina, but he was away from home in Napoli. And we, we, you know, we know how the South American culture is very much based on their homes and their families. They, they, they uh, from what I can gather nowadays tend to be a lot more homesick than people from other places because the culture is so different in other places. And Diego was without his wife and child for safety reasons for long periods at Napoli, you know. So, um, due to, due to those circumstances, I think all three of those together, um, he ended up doing drugs and he ended up doing them really badly in a really abusive manner. Again, not to forgive him, but, um, you know, just to say that it wasn't entirely beyond understanding. They could have gotten him 
the help that he needed to maybe do something. And I mean, it is very different now. And I know we absolutely nail Diego from uh, a dizzy height for what he's done, and fair enough. But nowadays, celebrities and drug abuse is, is you know, it's practically enormous. If you're not doing drugs, you're not a proper celebrity, really, you know, kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do think we need to learn from that. And to a large point, I think we have, you know, I think we do handle it a bit better. But, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing we have to also think is that, you know, the drugs combined with the injuries and all that kind of thing really saw Diego's career just start on, on a downward spiral that... um that really took a lot away from us. His legend went before him, and he he could sort of, especially you know towards a good part of the end of his career, just sort of couldn't live up to that really. But he bought into himself, and he bought into the savior status. And while at Napoli, I think that was just allowed to go unchecked. And yeah, I mean it's, yeah. it's a really really sad sort of uh, effect that it has on on uh, one of the greatest players we've ever seen. Yeah, that's that's a very well said, gentlemen, because I, I like how you guys put it from both perspectives. A lot of people who are anti-drug, and again, I'm not for drugs, but hey, you know, it, this is one of the best players ever, so it has to be talked about. But you do have a great point in saying, hey, this guy's from nothing. And, and people who have lived in poverty, who live in poverty now, who know what that's like, it's very easy to see no way out and to turn to something like that. And maybe that's how he started. You know, nobody will ever know, and it, it happens. But his World Cups, Diego played in four, 82, 86, 90, and 94. And while I don't really want to focus on 94 as much, it was played two games. There's really not much to focus on. He was sent home. <laughs> we talked about it earlier. The only talking point is that I was at the games, but nobody gives a shit about me. So... <laughs> 82 was in his, you know, that was actually in Spain when he was playing for Barcelona. It didn't go very well. Um, I really want to focus, and guys, feel free to bring up whatever you want, but I really want to focus on obviously on 86 because they won it. 90, they were runner-ups. And everybody talks about the hand of God goal. I know it's a huge talking point. How could you not talk about it? Still, you live, still you live in England, and, and it's people. there's still people there who still haven't forgiven him for that. And Absolutely. And I'm always I'm always in the camp of, and this might be the American in me, but if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And <laughs> he's a guy who who did anything he, he could to win. But I think what a lot of people forget from that 86 World Cup is Maradona's second goal in that game. Diego Maradona might be the only player in the history of the world who can take a ball in his own half. Guys, he took 11 touches around five or six English defenders and scored what is maybe the greatest goal I've ever seen in a World Cup, maybe altogether. What do you guys think about that? Uh, I mean, the the 86, the 86 World Cup, like I say, whether I, I believe I was the perfect, I was 13 years old, and it was, for me, it's still the best World Cup. It had the best, it had the best player at the peak of his powers playing, and it was it was just like I said. It, it's the best. It had such a it left such an indelible imprint on me as a child, and his performances left such an indelible imprint. I mean the the England the England game. I mean it, it's still talked about here. It's still brought up here. Um, there was a last year there was a 30th anniversary documentary about the hand of it was you know it was an hour documentary purely about the quarterfinal and. 
you know, I'm, I'm a passionate England supporter, I am, but just sometimes you, you need to let things go or sometimes, you you know, it, nobody denies he cheated. He did cheat. And part of you, certainly the, the British part, would be that, you know, that's that's not right and proper and that's not how we do things and that's not how we play our sport. And that's fine. But I think you also sometimes need to look at, had it been the other way around, certainly there was a, there was a chance in the game for Lineker right at the end. You know, if he'd done it, would there have been such an outcry? And I, and I think that's up to each individual's own conscience to, you know, do we think he's a cheat because it was against us? You know, had it been us that had done it, would he have been, you know, would we have been a cheat or would we have just have been clever? You know, and it's those sorts of things. But but the second goal is, it, it it's just incredible. It, it's, it's like a piece of art is, is probably the best way I can describe it. It's, I mean, there was four minutes between between those two goals and the handball, the handball goal went in and I was I was upset. I could feel myself. I was still feel myself welling up and, and starting to cry. And it's like, you know, how can this have happened? And I was, you know, and I was up and I was tapping my right hand as if the referee was going to see it and, and all of that. And then and then four minutes later, he does that. And, and my whole mood and everything just changed because I couldn't believe what I'd just seen. You know, and it was almost... You, you, for me personally, I can forgive him first goal because of the second goal, and, and I think that's probably how I personally sort of wrestle with that. You know, that he gave me on, and the world that that second goal, and I can forgive him the first goal because of that second goal. Because I'll, you know, I don't think I'll ever see a goal like it again. Certainly not on such a big stage. And, you know, and the other thing is about that goal, and you talk about the touches and the distance he travelled and the players that he beat, but it, if you look at the state of the pitch, you know, that that game was played, and it was played at the Azteca, which is a, is a fantastic stadium, but the yeah. pitch and the players talk about it, it was horrendous. Awesome. And it was bobbly, and it was, you know, and there was bits of turf coming up, and it still was like, like just tied to his feet, you know, for all that 60 yards that he travelled and the touches that he took and the amount of time, and it was... And it was like he was playing on a carpet and everyone else was playing on a, a ploughed field. And, you know, and that's also part of what made him great. But, but for me, like I said, yeah, forgive him the first goal, but only because he produced the second. Yeah, completely. 86 was his, 86 was incredible. It, it was just incredible World Cup. I, I didn't, I was like five at the time, so <laughs> I didn't really get to watch it live. But still, you know, watching back now, what I'd ask people to do is go watch the world go watch as much of it as you can and go watch as much of maradona as you can literally everything besides the hand of god goal it's just impudent majesty it's like the it's like the world cup was built for him alone that year it was an exhibition right of his uh, unearthly rhythm and his balance his unmistakable bounce when he played it also incredible determination and guts. You really got the feeling that his head was down for that one. And really, this was, you know, the feeling that he was the best in the world and the stage was his. It's like, you know, guys, you get this sometimes in the Premier League when a player comes in and has a look about and sees and checks out, you know, what, what's going on around him and then says, this is, this is not that good. I'm going to dominate this lot. And then they do, you know, to such a ridiculous level. We saw with Torres and um, like Cantona, you know, th- those kind of players that, that sort of just came in and, and made the stage theirs. And you could see the difference in quality. It was like, 
you know, his will, Maradona's will met the realization that he owned this whole thing. He owned everything. The entire World Cup was basically a showcase of the chasm between him and uh, his talent and the talent of that every, you know, the world had to offer in its entirety, um, of, of, from what remained of other footballers. It, it was like a football, you know, he's a football god at the peak of his powers, delivering on every promise he had ever made. He took on everybody and he gave the World Cup obviously one of its most iconic games. Uh, what you're talking about, the, the, the quarterfinal with England. And I, I know everybody talks about the hand of God, but no one talks about the fact that an elbow to his face went completely unpunished. That was, we just don't talk about that either. But the second goal. <laughs> it was an it's accident. Like, <laughs> it's like, the second goal. The second goal, it's like he controlled space and time. It's like that's the only explanation for what happened. It was mesmeric, but it fated at the same time. It defied logic, it defied certainty, it became the template upon which kids dream of scoring goals. You know, just ridiculous. They, they should have just stopped the tournament there, you just given him the trophy. So just done that. And then we could all have gone home happy. You know, it was so ridiculous. But, um, yeah, I mean, subsequent World Cups, I don't know, I was old enough to watch Italia 90 and it felt like a shadow. You know, weight, there's a battle yeah. with drugs, injuries. And they still... Again, like a, yeah. That's the that's the hilarious part. They still make the final. Um, mm. they, they beat West Germany three to two. Uh, I know that that time this is this is West Germany, a, a powerhouse, and they beat them in '86 and the '90. I think it was Brie Voller, I believe, scored the only goal, and they lost. But you know, you're right. He he was just only four years later and such a different player. So I apologize, Kay, for interrupting you, but go right ahead and talk about '90 Italia. No, no, that, 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 that's it basically. I mean, he star was completely fading from that moment. The, the reason I, you know, remember Italia 90 so fondly, um, is for, you know, a number of things, but it's just, it was really nice to be able to watch Diego in any sort of form, you know, even if it was just on TV, but it's, it's sitting around with people who were like my parents, friends, a lot older than me, watching Diego Maradona and you can, you can still see it. They will something from him. And they, you know, they're just waiting for something for him to show a little bit of what it was. And, you know, nobody wants to say it. Nobody wants to say it that he's not, you know, he's not the same guy. He'll never be the same guy. And his time is over. It's still Diego and he's still running around the field and he still looks, you know, like he could do something. That, that aura is still there. And I think he still at that point just believed he was the best player in the world. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was, looking back, it was a sad end, but I can tell you that while I was sort of watching it, I was still enthralled by, by you know, the absolute legend that went before him. Anything else you want to bring up about any of the World Cups, though? Anything you want to come um, talk about? I think, I th- well, just two things. One, um, a great point that Kay alluded to. If you, if you want to see a player get kicked and then get back up again, if you watch the... Argentina Italy game in 1982 and Claudio Gentile and you watch you watch that game and you watch almost that violence that were committed on the pitch oh, yeah. and he still got up and played and still got up and played and still got up and wanted the ball and still you know demanded the ball from teammates it, you know it's a real lesson in strength of mind and you know and character um Italian 90 it, it was it was a, it was it was such a shame and again Kay, you make a great point you, I did. I willed him to do great things. I, you know, I, I wanted, I was so desperate for him to do it again. 
Um, and certainly, obviously, that, that the, the against Brazil, where he you know sort of took on three or four players, set up Kanija, you know, and they went through one nil, you know, still in that last sixteen game. And I think, I think for me that those few moments there was you know you can almost pinpoint the last the last piece of magic on the world stage came in that game, and it was it, it was. It was such a shame because you, you, the, you know, the light was fading. You, you could see it just wasn't happening on a regular basis. And it's, it's very rare that you can actually pinpoint a moment in a player's career where you think that was it. That was the last, the last great contribution. And, you know, a last 16 game against Brazil in a World Cup, you know, setting up the winner, having taken on three or four Brazilians in the middle of the pitch. You know, it's not a bad way to, you know, to have your last great moment pinpointed, but it's, it's such a shame when you can see it and identify it, and yet you're right. You know, you're still willing and you're desperate for him to still produce, but you know, he obviously just didn't didn't have it in him to to be able to do it again. Yeah, there's and it's just there's something about, like I said earlier, a flawed genius that people love. You always want to pull for him. No matter, I mean, I'm an American. I have no ties to Argentina, but I love Diego Maradona. You guys, same thing. Stoop. Yes. <laughs> You support England, Kay. You're from South Africa. It's just this. It's it's the whole package you get with him, which is amazing. But I want to ask you guys a few questions. And I know we talked beforehand, and I swear I wasn't going to bring it up. I'm not bringing up who's better, <laughs> and I'm not going to bring up who's better, him or Leo Messi. I'll just say, and I know you guys will agree, <laughs> that we can appreciate the greatness of both of them. But damned if Leo Messi doesn't have that same close ball control. That Maradona had. I mean, if you watch them dribble, now Maradona was probably, I would say, a little stronger in his legs, a little center of gravity, although Messi is, maybe he is the same way, but maybe this is a dumb question, but what type of player, in your, in your eyes, not reading from a book, not reading from anything, was Maradona, and how would you think he would do, and maybe this is the, the part I was speaking about of a, of a dumb question, but how would he do in the modern game today? Uh, for me, I, I think he would, I think he would thrive. Uh, you know, and Kay mentioned it earlier, we've talked about it, you know, with the, the protection that players are now afforded. I, I think he would thrive in the modern era based on the amount of protection, um, he would be given. Certainly technically, skillfully, he would be able to flourish. He would be, you know, he would be, he would almost be even better. All, all the great things that we remember about him would probably be, be magnified. I think, I, I think the physicality, the speed of the game, he would maybe struggle with. But, but again, it's, it's a very difficult question to answer because, you know, he would go through the, you know, the same training regimes that Lionel Messi has gone through. So maybe, you know, he would be that little bit quicker. Um, if you're talking about transporting a, a player from the mid eighties into now, I, I think technically, absolutely, you know, he was, you could put him in any era and that, and that sheer football intelligence and that sheer football inability would thrive in any era. I think physically the game is so much quicker, so much quicker. And at the time he was, you know, he was very quick and certainly defenders would talk about his speed and how difficult he was to knock off the ball. But, but, but players are now athletes. You know, we've talked about, you know, the vices, you know, that he, that he went through and the addictions and that sort of thing. And, and players, anything that affects a player's physicality has a massive impact in today's game. And I think you would need a clean living, 
healthy, well-looked-after, morally-guided Maradona <laughs> to be able to thrive in this era. I don't think you could transplant the 80s one. I just, I'm not sure it would work. Okay. Yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with you. I, I do think, I agree with everything you said there. I mean, I, I can't really feel like there's a time or a place in which Diego, at the peak of his powers, is not the star of world football, but, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of context that goes into it. Uh, you know, having supported uh, Maradona from so long, having, you know, generations before you support Maradona, uh, it, it's sort of a thing of legend now more than anything else. But, um, it, w- one of the things that has changed, um, the only thing I think I can add to what Stu is saying is, is as well, I think teams are slightly better defensively organized. Uh, you know, you would notice when watching the 86 World Cup, if it wasn't teams like Italy, they, they, they did seem to be a little bit more space in front of the, um, uh, opposition defense, sort of that place where you expect the defensive midfielders to be patrolling that maybe they didn't get there quick enough. And so the space, certainly in the half space, might have been there a bit more than it is today. But the other big thing is that now even players like Ronaldo, even players like Messi, um, Suarez, Neymar, all those guys, Bale, Benzema, they have defensive duties. I'm not sure you could give Diego defensive <laughs> duties. I'm not, sure. I'm not sure Diego does defense. I'm, I'm not even talking like Messi like five, six, seven years ago where a lot of people in the press were complaining that, you know, he couldn't play in England because he wouldn't be able to run back and, you know, he wouldn't fit into the system. Come on. Uh, but I think even more so with Maradona, he, he, you would, you would have to build a team in which uh, like they did, like the, um, I think the Argentinian coach was saying, if I'm correct in that, but he, he, he was saying at that time, they basically, the rest of the team would build a concrete block behind Diego Maradona. And that was, you know, that was the platform. So uh, that's quite important. You'd have to build a team on which he stands. That would be quite difficult to do in today's terms, I think, because you'd be having to build a pretty, you know, the model would have to be different from basically every other team. And and that would be a difficult thing to do. So again, who would be able to do that type of thing? Who would be able to put all their eggs into that basket? Um, not sure. Maybe a team like Napoli. Who knows? You know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I think he would he would be a success though. I think he would. I actually love those answers because they were nice, drawn out. Not just yeah, he'd be great. Oh yeah, he'd be he would be crap. <laughs> so I appreciate that. And I, I did tell you guys beforehand we are going to have a secret question. Now, that secret question has turned into a quiz. But before we get to that, is there you any... You only have quizzes because you know I'm shit at quizzes. That's, that's, only... that's... Have you quizzed anybody else that wasn't me on your show? Is this... Why? Yeah, actually, no, we have. I, I actually, we did a John, Bar- a John Barnes pod a, a couple of days ago, which will be released soon. But you literally uh, we, just did that to cover your tracks for today. Yeah. No, 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 this is nonsense. <laughs> but be, so before, before we get to that, is there? And I know I, we talked before the pod. I don't want to bring up political ties with Maradona. Every, I mean, some people may know them, some people may not know them. I don't want to bring about his financial troubles. I, they're not things I care about. Um, but is there anything that you guys want to touch on before we get to the secret, awesome, amazing quiz? <laughs> uh, I say I think coming from England, I there are a lot of people. Don't worry, I'm, I'm not trying to generalize the population. I wouldn't dream of doing that. I, I just think it's such a shame that 
you know, for one particular incident, so much else overlooked, you know, so much talent. So, you know, it's, you talk, you mentioned Maradona, oh, he's a cheat. Oh, he's a, you know, he's a druggie. And it's like, no, you've got to see beyond that. You, you're missing out on so much until you look beyond it. And so, you know, and some people can look beyond it. I, I, I just wish, certainly in this country, that more people would, would look beyond the obvious and, and appreciate what was actually there. Because things like that come round so rarely. And, and it's a shame to, you know, have your opinion prejudiced by, you know, maybe one particular incident in one game or, you know, something that, you know, we talked about maybe wasn't his fault or maybe, you know, nobody condoned taking and, you know, it makes for a poor role model. But you've got to look beyond that and look at the reasons why, which, you know, which we've kind of done tonight. And I, and I just wish that people, I think some people are missing out by prejudging him and I, and I, I think people could get a lot more from him if they just took the time to really look at him and watch the videos and appreciate the talent he was, I think. Definitely. Absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't say that better. I mean, I think perhaps more than any other player, you know, from people, how people think of him in their memories, basically. I think Maradona will be remembered as the player who did the most with the least kind of thing. Not in terms of his talent, more in terms of team. Um, because like he goes Brilliant. to Napoli, they weren't a great team, you know, but most successful spell ever, you know, and then he goes to Argentina and really incredible spell there. And in terms of uh, golden era, you know, for the style of football, for the cult of the Argentinian national team, perhaps that, you know, that that's one of their greatest, it's definitely one of their greatest eras of their history. He's rightly considered one of the greatest ever. It's an incredible legacy. It's so big, it still haunts players around today you know you, you can't just yeah. play for argentina as a great it doesn't work like that and uh, great comment i mean if nothing else there's a church of maradona in argentina there yes are people who pray to him i hope he's the, like the second coming <laughs> so <laughs> it's gonna come for something no, but, but that's how deep this is that's how big his cult is it's not it's not a simple relationship anymore the normal rules sort of don't apply and i agree with Stu. go have a look at what he did because it is ethereal it is absolutely ridiculous some of the stuff he did with the ball yeah, and I just want to get across how much of pop culture Diego Maradona is. Um, there's very few names in any sport. No matter where you go in the world, you could say Michael Jordan, Babe Ruth, guys like this, and they'll go, oh, okay, like I, I don't watch basketball. I don't, I don't watch baseball. Mm. Diego Maradona, I don't watch football. But they'll know that person. And that's the impact that this man – I mean – it's it's amazing when you really truly think about it from where they where he started you know where he was born and what what he became from um, pluses and minuses but now we are to our secret quiz so can I, can I just before we start the quiz yes, can I get two points can I get one point for unification of Italy in eighteen I like that sixty something yeah I gotcha. can I also get the Church of Maradona one and um, I will. that way I'll end the quiz with at least two points. The one thing I am disappointed in both of you is not disappointed, but there was many people who referred to Maradona as a famous Dickens Oliver Twist character. Anybody? 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 The Artful Dodger. Careful uh, Dodger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the one thing I was waiting for somebody to bring it up. So yes, Kay, you can have your two points because you like. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, how, many, how, many is the, how many questions in the quiz? 
Um, there's five or six, and I and I'm not. Some of them are oh. hard, and some two of, out of five or six. Well, listen, no. some of some of them are some of them are two part answers. Maybe there's more. You guys just have to wait. So, so I'll start Ooh. with an. I'll Stu, start with. Sorry, we we we're talking over Stu's head, but Stu, sorry, like apologies, but Joe knows I'm the worst quizzer on the face of the earth. And oh, just you might want to give that a couple of minutes before you make that. Wait, no, <laughs> <laughs> there, there was I could one, be about to take your mantle. There was one time when uh, recently when Kay and I did a quiz, and I may or may not have beaten him eighteen to nothing, or somewhere around that. Time. I don't know okay. at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's start with this. Um, first question, you guys chime in. It doesn't matter, and whoever's closest, if it's that kind of question, will get the point. Um, how many goals in total did Diego Maradona score for Napoli from 1984 to 1991, his whole career there? I'm going to go, I, I, I think 120, 120. Okay. So I'll go with a hundred. You are closest, my friend. It was 81. Oh. Oh, I overrated him there. Yeah, he 188 appearances, 80, 81 goals he scored for Napoli. Because you know, in his first season, he only scored something like five or something, right? Yeah, yeah, not very many. So I thought if I go lower than Stu. Ah, uh, clever. clever. <laughs> All right. So I have quizzed before. <laughs> Against whom did Diego Maradona make his international debut, and how old was he? His international Argentina debut, just so nobody's confused. Who was it against? 16, wasn't it against yeah, Spain? So, uh, 16. 16 is right, but it's not Spain. Oh. Holland? No. No. You guys no, can give up. That's like, okay. It's, it's up to wait, you. Wait, wait, wait. Um, <laughs> How many countries are there? No, I read this. I read this. Yeah. <laughs> if we just keep taking it in turns, we'll get there. Italy. No. Oh, it's, I'll, okay, say okay, I'll, go, I'll say this. I'll say this. It's at, at the present time, they are is not it Colombia. A, no, at the present time, it is not a huge footballing nation, but it did have its place in the world at one time. It starts with an H. Honduras. No. <laughs> that was my think, Latin think, American knowledge. Think, uh, think, Europe, think Europe, Hogwarts. <laughs> think Europe. <laughs> Hungary. Yes, there it is. Ah, yeah, I, no, I don't think anybody should get points for that. You basically. <laughs> like... Okay, oh, yeah. no, that's a good point. I'm not going to give you that because I, it, without, unless I, we, we all put a video up and I pointed at a damn map. You know what I mean? That's the next thing that exactly was going to exactly like. <laughs> I am a country in Europe. All right, My so name starts with an H. Yeah, it would have turned into like Carmen San Diego in a second. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It is a synonym <laughs> for not being full of food. <laughs> All right, how many caps and how many goals did he score in his Argentina career? Uh, Two-part question. Uh, I'm going to say... <sighs> 48 goals. And... Um, New caps, let me think. Quite a few. 89 caps. Okay, what about you, Kay? Hmm. 
that's like your, that's like four World Cups, a bunch of stuff in between. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, yeah. So, Stu, you said 89. 89, yeah. You're going with 89. I will go with... No, I'll go 95. <laughs> and I'll say... <laughs> I'll say he scored um, like 30 goals. Did you say 30 goals? 30 goals. Okay, so you guys are going to get a half a point each. He had 91 caps, which would go to Stu. Wow! Damn, Ooh. Stu, that was close. And he wow. had... <laughs> that was close. And he had 34 goals, which is closer to K. So I need to stop, right, I'm, right. I'm overrating him too much. The, uh, no, thing is, the thing is, yeah, no, th- this is the thing, though, Stu. When he had goal-scoring seasons, he was just incredible. Yeah. Yes. It was it was like his general play that made everybody just a lot better. Like, he, he was... It was because of that that we keep on thinking it's it's you keep on overestimating his goals. So that, that's like that's the, when I was doing the research for the pot, I was I was thinking he should have he should have more goals than this in my yeah. head. <laughs> yeah, so, I think that's where I am. <laughs> without without K's two cheat points in the beginning, K you have a point and a half, and Stu you have a half. So right now K you're winning by one point. There's only a few left. So the next okay. one, the next one is. He has a tattoo on his right arm. Who is that tattoo of? Che, uh, che Guevara? Yes, yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say Jesus. Oh, it's, it's Che Guevara. Yes, good, good knowledge. So it's either going to be Jesus or himself. Those are my two guesses. Uh, I was, I was thinking of him, Del Castro. I was looking for my Latin American revolutionary. Yes, that's <laughs> a, right. You, you nail. So you guys are tied and we have, Two questions left, and this is going to determine it. Now, these are World Cup. These are World Cup questions, but not World Cup questions you might think I'd ask. So, this has to do with him being fouled. He was fouled in 1982 by Italy so many times in in one game. He holds the record for both of these questions. How many times in that game versus Italy in the 82 World Cup was he fouled? Oh, it's a lot. It's a, it's a lot. Yes, you are correct in saying yeah. that. I'm going to say... How many times is normal? Like, fouling normally today, you get, like, like four to seven. Like, seven would be, like, you are, you fouled that guy a lot. Um, right? Today? But today, it's... Uh-huh. Eh. I, I, I know I've seen the game. <laughs> I'm going to take my neck out. Oh, go on. I go, I go like double that, and but more than double that, almost triple. I go 20. Okay, K says 20. fouled 20 times during the game. I'm going to say more than that. That's ridiculous in my head. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've watched him get fouled. Gail got to receive the free kick and get fouled again before the ball arrives. <laughs> oh I'm going to say 32. Oh, if you would have, if you, uh, still, if you would have changed that number around, you would have won. So this is case point. He was fouled ah. 23 times. Ah. So one more question and you guys can I either thought, tie. I honestly thought mine was like way out. I thought it was going to be like 15. <laughs> no, they beat the hell out of him. Like we talked That's about horrible. earlier. Wow. So, yeah. 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 Okay. You actually might be able to win a quiz. This is the last question. Um, I told you. In the in the 19, 1986 World Cup, 
again, he holds the record for most fouls in one World Cup total. How many times was Diego Maradona fouled through the whole uh, tournament? This is, wait, this is through all these World Cups? Just a 1986. Oh, Just 86. Okay. It's 86. Wow. So are we going, it's already you doing an average of I'm, 20 per I'm, game? <laughs> yeah, I'm working out the seven games. I'm just working out how many games. Hold on. Where you guys <laughs> go? Remember, seven games. Remember, he, did, he didn't play in 94 very much. He only played two games and keep that in mind. So we just looking, how many games? How many games were played in the '86? How many games did he play? Was it like that? Was three group games, last sixteen, quarterfinal, semifinal, final. So it was seven games. Yes. Seven games. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know why I brought up '94 because you guys threw me off with the total, but it's just '86. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. So if we have <laughs> twenty-seven, wow, seven, seven games. And he holds the record for this. It can't be. It can't. Is that, okay, that must, no, the record must be the record for a reason, right? You can't, you can't be fouled 20, 20 a game. Ah. So if we, seven, God. I'm going to go with whatever seven twelves are. Uh, working that out. <laughs> 84. You're going for 84? 84. Yeah. Okay. I'll go, it's, it's 21, 81, and then, so, like, 45? Okay, you, my friend, are the champion here. It was 53 <laughs> times he was fouled. Uh, 50, it was, which is I, a, see, I see, Stu, what Joey has done here is he's purposely made all the questions, um, like, gettable <laughs> for me. <laughs> well, what I, you know, it's funny. When I first started it, I, I had a, I had a different set of questions, and I'm like, these guys are going to get this, too. And so I had to make them difficult. I mean, it's not something you can Google and go, how many times? So I had to do my research on it. One of my questions was, you know, what's his nickname? You know, most people get that. So the I golden had, one. The golden boy, but what is it in Spanish? Yeah. In, in uh, Dio, Dios? Oh, no. El Pibe no, de... No, that's God. It's, uh, oh. El Pibe de Oro. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, so. All right, gentlemen, well. I appreciate you both coming on so much, Stu. That was an awesome first pod for you. I would love, I'd have you on any time, man. Thank you. It's been an absolute, an absolute pleasure. I have absolutely loved it. It's been brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And thank, like I said, thank you for asking. Yeah, no problem, man. When I, as soon as I saw it on Twitter and I saw, you know, your articles and these footy times is absolutely brilliant. I, I was sold. I didn't need to hear your voice unless you sounded like a 13 year old girl. Then we would have had to reschedule, but. <laughs> I thought everything went well, and Kay, as usual, um, you're brilliant in everything you do, and you don't give yourself enough credit. I really appreciate you coming on, pal. No, no, not at all. And yeah, like Stu, thanks so much for coming on. I, I was I was trying to read everything on Maradona, so um, I was reading your articles, uh, obviously way, way before the pod. Ridiculous. I mean, everybody should go read them because you. I was reading them, getting goosebumps and reliving things, even though you know it's just on words. So uh, definitely, everybody give that give that a look. And um, and uh, yeah, as to yourself, Joey, thanks a lot for inviting me on, man. You you do a wonderful job of hosting these pods, so I'm always happy to come on. You know that. Yeah, Thanks. absolutely. Yeah, thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you both, fellas. Yeah, and before I let you guys go, Stu, do you, uh, Stu, I'll start with you. Any plugs from yourself you want to plug? Uh, any reading material or? 
Uh, no, like I say, the, the majority of my stuff is with these football times. All, bizarrely, we've just been chatting about it. Um, I have just finished an article on uh, number 10s and why England fear playing the traditional number 10 in that fantasista role, as the Italians call them. So that's that's up there to read at the moment on, on these football times. So I, I kind of agree. You, you fall in love with the number 10s. Um, and I like talking and writing about the number 10. So why England are reluctant to use them or class them as the luxury player or class them as a luxury player um, is up there to read at the moment. Excellent. I will look forward to reading that. And Kay, how about yourself? I know you do a lot of stuff. Well, I mean, as usual, it's the AI pod, which we are going to record um, very soon. And uh, then the face off as always after every game, but special plug, I got a new pod coming out, the flipbook animation pod. First one is in draft form, all edited, so uh, it's going to come out very soon, as soon as uh, as we get uh, some space in the schedule and yeah, gets updated. Flipbook is going to be there. I'm very, very excited about it. So yeah, if you, if you like animated films and uh, or series and like to discuss them, stay tuned for that. Excellent. Brilliant. And for myself, I did one of these a couple of days ago. It's a John Barnes pod. Um, anybody a fan of John Barnes, please listen. Um, I am actually on Kay's animation pod, so I think that is going to be excellent. And we also have <laughs> uh, we also have a United States pod, uh, Anfield Index, coming out. But for myself, Stu, and Kay, everybody, thank you for listening. Thanks for with, being with us and talking about a true legend in Diego Maradona. to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.